Hi, and welcome back. So I'm joined by Dr. Andrew Paragon, um, clinical parasitologist at OVC, as well as, Dr., as well as Jonathan Kotwa, master's candidate at the University of Guelph. Um, so we're going to be doing part two of our echinococcus multilocularis podcast, and we're going to be covering alveolar echinococcosis as well as human alveolar echinococcosis. Um, we thought if uh, people hadn't listened to the first session um, that we would just re- reiterate the uh, life cycle and um, where, you know, who might be infected and who might be involved. Um, so John, do you want to just take that away? Absolutely. So Echinococcus multicularis is typically maintained in a wildlife cycle involving two hosts. The adult stage of the parasite is uh, maintained in the definitive host, uh, such as uh, foxes or coyotes, so wild canids. And uh, when the adult stage is fully mature, it begins to shed eggs into the host's feces. The eggs are immediately infective and can remain infective in a cool, moist environment for up to a year. Rodents act as the intermediate host, and they become infected when they consume those infective eggs. They uh, develop larval cysts in their liver that bud exogenously and behave similar to a tumor. This will eventually kill the rodent, and then a wild canid can consume one of these rodents containing the cysts in their liver, and they'll develop the adult stage again. There are also what are known as accidental or aberrant hosts, and they can become infected with the larval stage in their liver as well by consuming the infective eggs. And the accidental hosts can be humans as well as domestic dogs. The resultant disease is termed alveolar kinococcosis. Okay, or AE, I guess. Yes. Is that what you guys call it for short form? Okay, good. So I talked a little bit about how dogs can become infected. Um, what presentations or clinical signs should uh, practitioners uh, look out for when they're um, when they're looking to include a kind of caucosis in their differential list? Um, dogs can develop two types of infection. They can develop intestinal infections um, in, in exactly the same way as foxes and coyotes can by consuming um, rodents, and that has essentially no impact on health whatsoever. Um, The bigger concern, and that is what we've started seeing in Ontario since 2012, um, is that very strangely, dogs can also develop the intermediate stage, um, what John just referred to as alveolar hydatid cysts, and those typically occur in the liver of dogs. Um, It's thought this occurs in dogs that consume large numbers of eggs, and that's most likely um, by consumption of feces of foxes or coyotes. Um, the typical pres- clinical presentation um, is highly variable, but will be consistent with any type um, of significant liver disease. Uh, and, and, and it's been extremely variable. S- some of the dogs have become ex- sick incredibly quickly and have died within 12 hours um, because of hemorrhage uh, into the abdomen. Um, but typically dogs um, have substantive lesions within the liver and present with substantive abdominal pain um, and, not surprisingly, lethargy and other clinical Mm. signs associated with significant liver disease. Okay. And then on imaging, what would you see? On imaging, so some of the characteristic features of alveolar hydatid cysts can be visualized, um, certainly um, with ultrasound, um, and that is there's typically within the liver... um, a multiloculated cystic structure. Often um, there's echogenic areas of fluid um, within these lesions, which actually seem to represent necrotic tissue within these growing alveolar hydatid cysts. There's often an irregular outer surface 
uh, and mixed echogenicity um, within the lesion itself. It's not absolutely characteristic for Echinococcus multilocularis, uh, and certainly grossly, if you go in and do an exploratory laparotomy on these dogs, grossly, um, they look identical usually to neoplasias, sometimes abscesses. Mm. Uh, and so getting a definitive diagnosis and can only be attained by submitting um, tissue um, for histopathology, and then it's usually this confirmatory diagnostic work uh, done with PCR testing. And I think one of the concerns is at the moment, since we've now had five dogs uh, with alveolar one of the big concerns is that um, this likely is being underdiagnosed um, because I think many people would do an exploratory laparotomy, look at the liver with substantive lesions and go, well, that's obviously neoplasia. Um, we don't need to submit tissues for histopathology. The dog's euthanized, and that's the end of the story. But the reason it's important um, to follow up on these cases um, is, is the public health concern. And the public health concern with these dogs with alveocarnococcosis has absolutely nothing to do with the liver lesions. So if you're doing a surgery and you handle one of these livers, um, there is no zoonotic concern whatsoever. Um, the bigger concern is, and that comes from observations in Switzerland, um, and that they found that about a third of the dogs with liver lesions also have intestinal infections. Mm. Um, and when they have intestinal infections, they're shedding eggs, and the eggs are immediately infected in feces. And so if you've not done histopathology on a liver mass and just euthanized the dog, you will never know if either people in practice or, more importantly, probably family members have actually been exposed. Right, okay. Uh, and so I think there's a responsibility uh, both, both, for the, both for the dog um, and uh, for people in the household to work up these liver lesions to determine what they are. Because if you catch these lesions in the early stages, um, this disease often has um, a good prognosis in dogs, mm. um, unlike, for instance, some tumors. Right, okay. Um, so, and then you mentioned, so you mentioned submitting for histopathology. Is there any serologic testing that can be done in Canada at this time? Unfortunately, at the moment, serology testing um, for dogs is not available in Canada. Um, you can send blood samples over to Switzerland, um, where serology tests are available both for people uh, and for dogs. I mean, my thoughts are if there is sufficient demand, hopefully um, we will be able to get serology available here. Um, it would be a very useful test um, for evaluating dogs for potential exposure. Right. Um, and, because and at the moment, if you're concerned a dog might have algorithmocarnicocosis, um, essentially you would need to do ultrasound um, before um, subsequently sending tissue for histopathology. And having serology would, would be extremely useful, I think, for some vets who, are, who have high-risk dogs. So dogs known to consume fox or coyote feces um, are at high risk of developing this particular disease. Okay, and we did have a pretty in-depth discussion in our previous podcast about intestinal infections. So if you haven't listened to that, then feel free to circle back and listen to the diagnostic discussion about that because I think that was useful. Um, and it adds to this discussion. Um, and then we are working on a PCR uh, that's going to be available in the next little while, right? Well, there actually is a PCR test now available for tissue, for Echinococcus multilocularis, that's been available at the Animal Health Laboratory for at least the last year. Um, so if you have tissue that you're wondering whether or not it could be 
um, an alveolar hydatid cyst. That certainly can be tested by PCR. I think it's worth pointing out that the histopathology uh, of these lesions is extremely characteristic. Mm-hmm. Um, so requesting histopathology um, in addition to PCR testing uh, is extremely helpful. And, and typically a pathologist, if they look at tissues and think it is an alveolar hydatid cyst, they would get back to vets and say, look, we want to do confirmatory testing with, by PCR. Um, and so histopathology usually would be the first diagnostic method that's used that, that raises the concern uh, and certainly of a presumptive diagnosis, and it would be confirmed by PCR. Okay, and so good so good when you're taking one of these biopsies to take a piece of fresh and a piece of yep. fixed sample yep. so that you can be sure either way, right. depending on what comes back. Okay, excellent. Um, so how is the disease treated if we do if you did diagnose it? So if you've got a dog with significant liver disease, um, substantive liver lesions, and the, hist- the pathologists have come back to you and told you that it's an alveolar hydatid cyst, um, the recommendation uh, is medical management um, using albendazole, um, which is sold in Canada under the name Valbazin, um, given daily um, for the rest of life. Okay. It's not a sidle drug, it's a static drug, uh, and it's exactly the same as is done um, in humans. Um, the only caveat on that is some dogs develop significant bone marrow suppression issues um, when on um, albendazole. And so there is a need when you first start dogs on albendazole to regularly carry out CBCs just to make sure um, that you're not running into a bone marrow suppression issue. So medical management daily for the rest of life um, is, is the primary way in which this disease is addressed and it's extremely important to keep dogs on albendazole daily for life. I know a number of dogs both in Ontario and elsewhere in Canada uh, where the owners stopped giving albendazole and within a few months um, the lesions had recurred and the dogs had to be euthanized. Right. Okay. The other recommendation is as in people is that surgical excision of lesions is recommended um, but only if total excision um, of the lesions is possible. There's no evidence that partial um, resection um, uh, uh, of lesions um, is of any um, significant benefit um, compared to n- not doing resection and putting the dog on albendazole for life. Okay. Um, can it make it worse if they just take out part of it? So could it make it worse if they take out part, part of it um, Potentially, uh, it depends how extensive the lesion is. I mean, the reality is these things are often not diagnosed until there's substantive liver involvement, and so total resection is often not possible. Okay. And so the recommendation is if total resection is not possible, um, just manage the dog without daily albendazole. As I said, there's no benefit that doing daily albendazole and partial um, resection. There's no evidence that that is any better than just medical management. Okay. And the albendazole, will it stop the, shedding, the intestinal shedding if they are an intestinal shedding? So the albendazole treatment has, has only has impact on the liver lesions. Okay. It has no impact on intestinal shedding. All right. And so to address intestinal shedding, um, we always recommend praziquantel at the time the presumptive diagnosis is made. So as soon as a presumptive diagnosis is made, and that would be on the basis of histopathology, um, the recommendation, A, immediately treat with praziquantel twice 24 hours apart um, to eliminate um, any further intestinal shedding. But remember, praziquantel has no impact on the liver lesions. Um, and then additionally, when you've made a presumptive diagnosis, um, 
be aware of the public health concerns. And so as soon as the infection is confirmed, you need to contact the medical office of health of your, for your area just so they can work up um, potential in-contact people. Okay, great. So, Andrew, what's the prognosis for these dogs? And they, does it depend on how big the lesion is and when it was caught in the disease process? So the answer is absolutely. Uh, and the prognosis very much depends on how early or late um, these infections have been diagnosed. Unfortunately, um, usually by the time a diagnosis is made, there is substantive liver involvement. And so for many of the dogs that this has been diagnosed, they've been euthanized within um, days of the diagnosis. Having said that, there are some dogs uh, where infections were caught early on um, and have done extremely well um, on albendazole therapy. Um, there's at least one in the literature that's been alive um, six, seven years later. Oh, wow. But that's the, usually there's a very guarded prognosis. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm thinking, it, like, do they show a lot of clinical signs early in the disease process? So, no. Um, and, I mean, the clinical incubation period in dogs um, actually is not known. In people, it's 5 to 15 years. Um, there's certainly been one dog that was diagnosed sick at one year of age. Um, so the clinical incubation period is a lot shorter in dogs. Okay. And what about cats? How much of a concern is it in cats? So cats can also develop intestinal infections. There's no evidence that cats develop liver disease, so that um, alveolar echinococcosis has not been described in cats. Um, but cats will develop intestinal infections, and just like dogs, that's from consuming um, infected rodents. There actually has been one cat in southern Ontario that's been shown to be shedding um, echinococcus multilocularis in its feces. Um, and I think it's important to put cats in perspective and that whilst they will develop intestinal infections, the public health concern um, from cats is considered a fraction of the risk from dogs. They shed for a much shorter period, they shed eggs for a much shorter period and at much lower levels than dogs. Um, however, if you have public health concerns uh, and you want to eliminate the public health risk associated with um, shedding eggs um, in a cat that's known to hunt regularly, um, just as in dogs, monthly treatment with praziquantel would be recommended. Okay, great. Um, so again, we did talk about um, a lot. Of, we did talk a bit about the human health risk in um, our previous podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, then do circle back and listen to it. Um, but we wanted to talk about the kind of the overall world wild distribution of um, human uh, alveolar echinococcosis. So what do we know about where else it might be? We this is very this this disease in people is very much an emerging issue uh, in parts of Central Europe, especially in Switzerland, um, and where the number of human cases each year has been progressively increasing for the last few years. And ironically, that's been associated with the success um, of rabies vaccination programs for foxes, that's resulted in a significant increase in inner urban populations of wild canids. The infections then spilled over to domestic dogs by consuming rodents in the same urban environments. Uh, and the human infections have been acquired primarily, we think, from dogs uh, in people's households. Um, the number of human cases in Canada, in all, Canada is all, in all honesty, isn't actually known. It's not a reportable disease um, in either at either the federal or the provincial level in people in Canada. And there's some discussion at the moment to try and change that um, because it would, it would keep us up to date with what's actually happening in Canada. Anecdotally, there is certainly evidence um, indirectly of human cases 
um, in Ontario. We just don't know how many were acquired within the province. Right. Just okay. recently, in 2014, there was a case that was reported in Alberta that appeared to have been acquired in that province. Um, but there is significant concern, certainly by some of the medical officers of health in Ontario about this, um, and that is the lack of reportability means could well mean that cases um, are not becoming known to the medical community at large. Right, okay. Um, so yeah, we haven't necessarily seen any in Ontario that we know of yet. We haven't, but because of the work that's going on at OVC to try and find out how common this infection is, is in wild canids, um, th that information is clearly indicating we have it in wild canids and it's more extensive than we thought it were. Uh, and um, certainly the Medical Office of Health for the Guelph area um, is putting the word out to colleagues across the province of the importance of including this disease uh, in, in physicians' differentials for liver disease in people. Because, as I say, until very recently, we weren't supposed to have this parasite mm -hmm. in the province, and so it wasn't even on the radar for most physicians. Uh, and that's um, slowly changing as the messaging is getting out um, about the emergence of this parasite. Okay. Now, a bit of an oddball question, but um, about imported dogs, which is kind of a hot topic right now, what countries or regions should be considered highest risk? So it, it actually is a particularly hot topic for Echinococcus multilocularis because along with colleagues um, at Western College of Veterinary Medicine, we've typed um, some of the infections in dogs in the province. And for certainly for one of those dogs, the strain that the dog was infected with was a European strain. So we don't know what that means at the moment, but it's very, very likely um, that a European strain has established in southern Ontario. There certainly is a North American strain in some of the dogs as well. How did a, a European strain get into Ontario? Uh, it shouldn't be surprising. It's very, very easy for that to happen because the only requirement for a dog being imported into Canada um, is proof of rabies vaccination. Um, right. Some countries that want to remain free of Echinococcus multilocularis have a requirement for praziquantel treatment at the point um, of entry. Um, where is the greatest concern with respect to importation? It would be dogs at the moment, as far as we're coming in from Central Europe. Okay. Uh, so, for instance, parts of Germany, parts of France, particularly much of Switzerland, um, if dogs are coming over from there, and we know there's significant numbers of dogs each year um, that make that travel, um, it would make a lot of sense to encourage owners to treat with praziquantel when the dog arrives, irrespective of the fecal results. Right, because we know it can't necessarily be found on fecals. Right, Different Differentiated. Okay, well, thank you very much, Andrew. Is there anything else that, and Jonathan, is there anything else that you guys would like to add? No, I think that's everything. Okay, that's everything. great. Thank you, guys.